turning to the chapter 11 this evening, I will note my apology now. Um, I made a lovely PowerPoint and forgot to upload it for David um, when I arrived here this evening. But oh no, so I apologise, you're going to have to listen to me tonight. Um, nothing more to look at. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 11, please. And um, we're turning to the verse 1 there. Uh, our title this evening is Willing Workers for the Lord. Willing Workers uh, for the Lord. Nehemiah, please, in the chapter 11. We're turning to the verse 1. And the rulers of all the people at Jerusalem, the rest of the people, also cast lots uh, to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in the other cities. We'll, get, we'll tease this out in a moment and, or two just to understand what they're saying in this verse, but note that some of the rulers uh, of the people dwelt in Jerusalem, which infers that many of the rest didn't. So the rest of the people therefore cast lots to decide who would go back and live in Jerusalem. Verse 2, and the people, that's all the people, uh, blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So in verse 1 you find there's a group uh, who cast lots to see who would dwell in Jerusalem. Then the comparison in verse 2 is you see a group of willing volunteers who of their own choice decide to go and live in the finished city. Verse 3. Now these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities. And to wit, Israel, the priests and the Levites and the Nephilims and the children of Solomon's servants. And at Jerusalem dwelt certain of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin, of the children of Judah, Athahiah, the son of Uzziah, and the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of, the son of Zephatiah, the son of Mahalalel, and the children of Perez. And we'll end the reading there at verse 4, and we'll refer to different verses throughout chapter 11, throughout the evening. Let's just pray before we come to God's word again. Our God and our Father, we ask, because we prize and value your word, that you would help us this evening to study it carefully and with reverence, and that we would study it expectantly, that you would save us from ourselves and distractions from the day that has gone by, and that, Father, we would have cause to rejoice as you speak to our hearts through your word this evening. Father, I pray that you would Mark me out for a fresh filling of the Spirit of God, that, Father, you would anoint my lips again as I seek to explain this passage. And, Father, I pray it be that your voice will be heard in each of our lives tonight, and that, Father, it would be for the good, and that, indeed, you would encourage us in our walk with thee. Father, bless us as we come to your word just now, and we ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Now, on a number of occasions, as we've travelled through the book of Nehemiah, we came across a lot of lists of difficult names. And we we could have taken time to read all those names this evening, but we'd have no time to say anything. This list of names, it runs from the beginning of chapter 11, right through to chapter 12, and the verse 26. Many of those names, if you were to take time to read through them, aren't names that we would readily remember. 
uh, even from a reading of this passage in Scripture. And you might feel, as we come to this passage this evening, that maybe it would have been more profitable for us just to skip past chapter 11 and go straight to chapter 12 and verse 27. But I feel that there are still lessons that we can learn from this list of names we find in Scripture. And we're studying this title, uh, Willing Workers for the Lord. And we're going to find within this passage there are many of God's people who are so willing to go to work for Him. Now let me give you a background just of where we're going this evening. And to get that background, we need to flick back to chapter 7 very briefly where we've been before. Chapter 7 and just the first uh, four verses of chapter 7. Nehemiah in chapter 7, and we're reading the verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built, that's the wall of Jerusalem of course, and, and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot, and while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them, and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch, and every one to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great. Now here's the important point here. Uh, but the people were few within. Note that. And the houses were not builded. So at that stage in chapter 7, there were few people living in Jerusalem. It hasn't yet been populated. And also there's been very few houses that have been built. Now that's important to understand where we're going as we turn back to chapter 11 this evening. Let's just quickly set that scene. The city of Jerusalem had been without a wall for 160 years. If my calculations are correct, the Jews spent 70 years in captivity. And then an additional 90 years passed by before Nehemiah came onto the scene, exhorting them by the word of God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And for approximately 160 years, Jerusalem was without a wall around her. And in fact, she was little more than a pile of rubbish, a city of debris, a huge rubbish dump, and hardly anyone lived in her. She had no walls. She was destroyed both politically, nationally, spiritually, in the sense of the city. And she was open to prey of all her enemies. Jerusalem was lying in a complete state. And to add to the problem, after Nehemiah had rallied the people together and started to build the walls, exhorted them to fight for the cause of God and to give their resources to building the walls and rebuilding Jerusalem again, the people during that time of rebuilding, built for themselves their own houses, but they were outside of the city. They were on the outskirts of the city. And you know, as we come to God's Word tonight, and as we see the list of people that begin to willingly go into the city, and we see how Nehemiah, he takes careful note of all the names, and he's meticulous. And you read through his account that he wrote, uh, inspired by the Spirit of God. He's meticulous in what he does. We've seen that he's very uh, thorough in what he does. And there's a lesson that we can even learn from this simple list. And indeed the detail that Nehemiah goes into throughout his book. He, he wrote a careful record of the people. And a record of what happened in these special days as God moved. And let that be a lesson for us uh, in the running of Grange Baptist. That it ought to be done in an orderly way. God wants us to be thorough 
in everything we do. Doing everything is on to the Lord. So from the welcome at the door, to the person who plays, to the preacher who stands to proclaim God's word, the Lord expects us to do it to the best of our ability, in an orderly way, and as unto the Lord. Now that's just a passing thought. And praise God, Nehemiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, penned the events that happened in those days for our learning here this evening. The people named, they had a responsibility. And the truth is that each of us have been put here and we have a responsibility to serve the Lord. In other words, when we meet and greet each other in this building, we could literally say, hello, how are you? And what are you doing here? Is the question we really could ask. And what I want to do this evening is point out three lessons about these people that we find in chapter 11. And the first lesson that we want to learn is this. We want to note the presence of the people in the city. The presence of the people in the city. Now this is an important part of our point. What you see here in the opening verses of chapter 11 teaches us quite a significant lesson. The walls and the gates of Jerusalem are restored. And it's important now that the Jews went to live in the capital city, that the population of the actual city grows. People needed to live in the city in order to protect it from attack again. And you see, here is the issue. It may have been safer for the people to live in the small outlying villages that there was no threat there from the Gentile society and the nations round about. There would have been a big risk in moving into the holy city. And also, if the, but the truth is, if the people really loved God and their holy city, they would want to live there, even just as a witness to the sceptical nations around them. After all, why rebuild the city when you don't plan to live there? But most of all, God had brought the remnant back home because he had a special job for them to do. And to abandon the restored city was to obstruct the working of God's will through Jerusalem. In other words, God needed the people to be present in the city. God needed the people to be present in the city. This, this teaches me a very simple but a very important lesson. For so far, we haven't actually spoken about anything that the people were doing. It's just simply that their presence was required in the city. And this is a very important lesson. Never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you. You may not be asked to perform some dynamic ministry or do something up front. But sometimes just being present is a ministry in itself. Let me develop this thought a little more. Your presence here this evening is an encouragement to me. When I see you gather, I'm pleased that you're hungry for the word of God. And when I see you gather, I'm pleased that we have a fellowship who want to seek the Lord in prayer. Your presence here encourages your brothers and sisters around you too. As we enjoy fellowship with one another and encourage one another in our conversations and as we listen to each other, as we pray aloud for one another, that encourages your brothers and sisters around you. Also your presence here this evening is a witness to your unsaved family members. 
I wonder if you ever thought of that. When your unsaved family members see your desire to be found in the house of the Lord, it's a witness to them. The men, women, boys and girls who helped populate Jerusalem, they were serving God by simply being there, being present. Dear believer, when you're present in God's house, you're obeying God's word. For we read in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 that we're not to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more the more, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. When we're present on the Lord's day, we observe the Lord's supper with his returning mind. And as we remember Calvary, it keeps our minds focused on our walk for sure. And being present at the Lord's table is a command. In fact, I believe it's the only service that's commanded to be had on the Lord's day. It's the only service that we're commanded to meet at, to meet around the Lord's table. And in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26, Paul wrote these words, he says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till he come. You know, the Lord wants your presence, dear believer, at his table. He asks you to remember him once a week, half an hour. That's all he asks. Half an hour to sit around the table and to remember the sacrifice he made for you. When we're present, we show our love for the believers around us. For when we meet as a church, we read in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12 and 13, uh, Paul writes, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. When we're present, it's a witness and it ultimately wins souls. In Jude in 21 to 23, we read these words, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others see it with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by flesh. When we're present, we gather around God's word. We hear his voice speak in our lives. And indeed it leads us to live those lives that are separate and holy unto the Lord. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Your presence is so important. And the Lord wants to see you here. And he's pleased to see you here. And it encourages us one another as brothers and sisters in Christ just by being present when you need to be present. The presence, there's presence in the city, but I want you to know something else about these people. Not just their presence in the city, they were ordinary people. That's the second thing I want you to know. They were ordinary people. There's a lovely piece that the CEF choir used to sing many years ago. And I think I've forgotten one line from it, so if someone knows this, You've got to tell. I've looked, I've Googled it, and I've looked up in every handbook, and I couldn't find it. But this is what I remembered from it. It's a lovely piece. And it says, ordinary people are the people God will use. Ordinary people are the people God will choose. People who can change the world, whose lives have been made new. 
That change begins with you. You know, when God chose the Old Testament people of Israel in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7, he said these words. He says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. And he was saying, you Israelites, don't get a notion of yourselves. Don't think you're someone that's more special than any other nation. I didn't choose you like that. I chose you in my grace and an unmerited favour. There was nothing in you that commended yourself to me. I didn't choose you because you were a mighty nation. I chose you for the opposite. Because you're weak and you're feeble. And so that my glory would shine forth in you. And all the nations of the world would see me and not see you. That's why God chose Israel. Now grace in the New Testament is a little different than that thought. Because when you look at 1 Corinthians 1.25, Paul says this, he says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, now that, now that, not, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And God, my thinking when I read that passage is that God uses ordinary people. It's Lady Huntington who said that she was thankful it didn't say not any noble people. It says not many noble people. And she says she was glad for the not many and not the not any. I thought that was an interesting note in a little commentary, an interesting fact. But for this passage, it teaches us that in God's grace, he works through the despised things and the weak things. And when we look at the Bible, we see many examples of this. We see David and Goliath. Who was, was it that slew the giant? It was a boy named David with a few small stones. Who was it that God spoke to when he could have spoken to anyone in the nation in a great time of need? He came to Samuel and he said, Samuel, Samuel in his sleep. Who was it that the Lord turned to to do the miracle, to use to do the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? It was a boy who just had five loaves and two fish. Look at the disciples. What an assorted crew they were. That's who the Lord turned to while he was here on earth. Not the philosophers or the theologians of their day. Ordinary people. And God used them. Take one disciple for an example. You know, some people have christened this disciple as ordinary Andrew. Did you ever hear much about Andrew? Andrew is universally regarded as an average man. He was just ordinary. And Andrew is the sort... He's the sort who was just there in the background most of the time with regards to the disciples. But you know, he was the first of the twelve to follow the Lord Jesus. But we don't see him really as a prominent apostle. He's not included in the inner circle even though he was the first to come to Christ. Peter, James and John, that was theirs. But Andrew regularly was identified, when you read through scripture and you find Andrew, he's identified as the brother of Simon Peter. 
the brother of Simon Peter, so often it says that. But Peter is never identified as the brother of Andrew when his name is mentioned. Everybody knew who Peter was, but who's Andrew? You can imagine them saying in the streets, well, who is Andrew? And they would reply, well, it's that guy who's always there hanging around with Peter. You know Peter, the great preacher? Well, well, he's tagging along with him. And I think he might be Peter's brother or friend, but he's nobody really that important. He wrote no epistles. There's no miracles recorded in Andrew's life. He, he wasn't an eloquent preacher like his brother Peter. Yet nevertheless, God used Andrew mightily. He was the first who came to Christ of the disciples and he became an evangelist. He was the one who brought Peter to Christ. And look at how many lives were impacted by Peter's life for Christ. Dear Todd's helper. Sunday school teacher, joy club helper, that child who you teach each week could be the next Bill Woods, Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott, Maud Kells, Gladys Aylwood, who could go on to win many souls for Christ. Your work for the Lord is never in vain. For God uses ordinary people. Praise God, he uses people like you and I. And I think that is such an amazing encouragement for us this evening. Because so often many of us can think of ourselves as insignificant in the work of the Lord. Well, you're not. You're not. And the little things that you do for him are mighty when you do it with your whole heart for him. They were ordinary people. Their presence was in the city. They were there. They were present. They were involved. They, they were ordinary people. But then I want you to finally know that God honoured their willingness to serve him. God honoured their willingness to serve him. Their names, apart from them being here in this chapter in scripture, they're people who are largely unknown. But they were willing to serve the Lord, whatever the cost, to lay their lives down for the sake of the Lord. Now this really puts to the test whether you really meant the words that you sang earlier in the meeting tonight. Whether in your life and heart you mean them, Jesus the name high over all, over my name, Jesus over everything. Tis all my business here below to cry, behold the Lamb. You know, there is the grave of the unknown warrior, the unknown soldier in Westminster Abbey in London. And I'm sure that that soldier went willingly to serve his country, but today his name is unknown. But his sacrifice is remembered yearly in November at remembrance. And I believe in chapter 11, that's what we're looking at here. We have a chapter of memorial for those who are largely unknown. The crosses that they carry, they're just obscure and forgotten people. And verse 2 says... Those who offered, volunteered themselves to move to the suburbs into Jerusalem, the Hebrew word is nadab, which means to impale or to incite from within. And they had this generosity and this willingness from within them to serve the Lord. And, and you know, we've referenced before in this series the servant hearts of the Israelites when they were building the tabernacle in Exodus 35. And each person they gave in kind devotion and they grouped together and they used their strength and there were skilled men in craftsmanship and they used, used their skills. And there were women who were good at embroidery and they used their fingers and there were those who were able to weave and they did that. And 
pretty much as the tabernacle was put together, everyone did what they could. And in fact, when you go back and read that passage, there's this lovely part where Moses has to actually stand before the people and say, you need to stop giving, we've got too much. I think that's a, it's a verse in scripture that isn't very often referred to, but Moses actually had to tell the people to stop giving. I think that's amazing. Imagine if we did that today. The office bearers meeting next week would be great. But you know, the people gave all that they could. Do you do that? I'm not talking about finance here. Do, 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 you, do you give yourself, your abilities, your all to the Lord's work? Have you given to the Lord's work today? Have you used your skills? Have you remembered our assembly in prayer? Do you give all of your crafts and talents to the Lord? Do you, give, do you give the best time of your day to the work of the Lord? What have you done for the Lord today? Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, what I do for the Lord isn't much, Peter. And even if I was to do something, oh, it wouldn't count. Because it would be so insignificant. God's word says this, it doesn't matter how insignificant it is if it's done with the right heart and done unto the Lord. Little is much when God is in. Labour not for wealth or fame. There's a crown that you can win if you go in Jesus' name. As we come to the close here, I want to highlight five different groups that we find here within this chapter and draw a quick application to each of us the same, and you'll understand it's five groups, so we'll be quite standby. Uh, group one is found in verse two, we've referred to them already, the unknown who volunteered to move into the city. You see, if the Lord was to put his finger in your heart and say to you, I want you to leave Greenwich, or I want you to leave wherever you live, and I want you to go to the back ends of nowhere, and I want you to be a witness for me, and I want you to serve me, and I want you to give the rest of your life for me. And maybe it could be that you go to a place where, like many of the pioneer missionaries did, and you won't see fruit the rest of your life. Would you go? Would you? These people went. And they left everything behind, their comfort in the suburbs of the city. And God put his finger in their heart and said, you go in. They went, not a second thought. I wonder if God put his finger in your heart and said, I want you to go there. Leave everything behind. Would you go? Group two, find in verses 10 to 12. The second group, let's just read the beginning of verse 12, and it says, And their brethren uh, that did the work of the house were 882. Now those people, these are the people who worked in the temple of God. They worked in the temple. Think about this work of work. 822 people in one temple. These people, not one of them are named specifically in this passage, in all the names that are named, all working for the Lord, with many jobs to do in the temple. These people would have been taken for granted, I'm quite sure, in those days by the people around them. Some would have dusted. Some would have, would have lit the lamps of God. Some who would be running errands continually for animals and cleaning, you name it. 
Things were being done continually in the temple, 822 people doing it. But God recognised it. And God honoured it. Because it was done faithfully. And there were those who worked the temple. Let me ask, what are you doing in the house of God? Maybe you dust this place. Maybe you clean the toilets. Maybe you set up the chairs. Do you know that that's a mighty work for the Lord? A mighty work. Group 3. Find verse 15 and 16. Third group who work outside the place of worship. And they're found in verses 15 and 16. And it says there at the end of verse 16 that these people had the, uh, had the oversight of the outward business of the house of God. In other words, the maintenance of the exterior, the, the beauty of the temple, the, the grounds around the temple. And there were other works like judging and counselling the people. You know, isn't it marvellous that there was a work for everyone to do? And isn't it so true with the little hymn that says, there's a work for Jesus, only you can do. There was something for everyone to do. There, were, there was maintenance of the temple to be done. You may think that's not a spiritual job. It was a needed job. It was done for the Lord. And done in the right heart. And there were people, these 822, doing the jobs inside the temple. But there were those who were maintaining the temple. And it's beauty. So, so important to know that. Group 4, found in verse 17. And what, 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 what a group this is. Led by one man. Look at verse 17. And Mathaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, uh, was the principle to begin thanksgiving and prayer. What a job. What an amazing job. He was a man who would stand up and he would lead the people of God in prayer. And I think it was chiefly him who was responsible on a human level to keep the temple alive before God, to keep the worship going. And that's your job, some of you, to do it, to lead the people. There's people who sit in front of me this evening and I know you're encouragers. And you lead the people to worship God. Maybe you're someone who's gifted musically. And as you sit to play, you're leading the people of this fellowship in worshipping the Lord. Your role is so important. Because it means that we can sing along and you lead us along as we worship the Lord. And here was someone... And he's mentioned because he was just there to lift worship to the Lord. To begin it and to lead the people in worshipping him. Finally there was a fifth group. Found in verses 22 and 23. The overseer, the overseer also of the Levites of Jerusalem was Uzi the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micah, the sons of Asaph. The singers were over the business of all the house of God. So now we have a little group of people who sang the praises of God in the temple with all their mind. Just a little band constantly singing, constantly praising God. Now the singing isn't the point here. The point is that they live to praise God alone. That's the point. Not for their name to be remembered, but for God's name to be remembered. That's the point. And in each of these groups, all that mattered was that the name of their God, the name of our God, was lifted high. And so that the nations around would see 
that the God Almighty reigns. Jerusalem sat in ruin for years, but God did not abandon his people. He brought them back, and through Nehemiah re-established the work, and through Ezra's way, and here the people were back in the temple, back in the holy city, the temple where God dwells, and they were worshipping God. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thy mine inheritance, now and always. Dear believer tonight, be content for the name of the Lord, and obscure to the people around you. But faithfully do what God has called you to do, no matter how small you think it is, it doesn't matter. Whatsoever you do, Paul says, do it heartily unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive a reward of your inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that no matter what you call us to do, no matter how great we feel it may be or how small, we thank you, Father, that your word teaches us over and over and over again that when we do that with our whole heart, that it's an act of worship and praise to our God. Father, I thank you for each brother and sister sat in this place this evening. Thank you, Father that you have given each of us abilities and talents that we can use for you. Father, thank you for the one who comes in and cleans uh, this building. Uh, we thank you, Father, for those who you have gifted uh, musically. We thank you, Father, for those who you have gifted uh, with technology and are able to work with technology. We thank you, Father, for those who you've given the gift of encouragement to. We thank you, Father, for those who have that gift of being a prayer warrior and, be constant, and are constantly on their knees, uh, pleading our case before you. And Father, I just want to thank you that there's a work that each of us can do for you. Father, we thank you for those that you've gifted uh, to work with the children. Uh, we thank you, Father, for those that you've given gifts to, uh, to be able to be good visitors. And Father, we, you have given so many gifts to us. And Father, I just thank you that we can use those gifts to serve you and to bring praise to your name. Help us to serve you with our whole hearts. And Father, help us to lift your name higher than any other name that we know. Because Father, one day our names will be forgotten largely. But Father, we want the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be known. That our lives would be marked not by our own name 
But as people who have been with Jesus, and people who proclaim him as the only saviour of sinners. Father, help us to serve you and help us to praise you with our whole lives. And Father, we ask this for your glory alone. Father, as we come to this time of prayer just now, we ask that we would continue to know your presence with us this evening. We ask this for your glory alone. Amen.